asking people through email, you know, a solicitation to all of our prior donors and prospects isn't going to generate the kind of money that a relationship between a department and their alumni or their industry partners will. Philanthropy is more than money, Lisa. It's, it's a smile. It was holding the door open for somebody, shoveling their walk, mowing their lawn. Welcome to Forward with NACI, Inspiring Entrepreneurial Action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome to Forward with NACI. Today, we're sharing more of our conversation with Lisa and Marcy. If you haven't heard part one, be sure to go back and listen. You're not going to want to miss this. And thanks for listening. One of the things I'd love to hear, maybe Marcy, from your standpoint, is a little bit more about some of the successes that you've had at Pima. So you've been in your tenure a handful of years, and you've had really great results with a very lean team. So you, I think, embody what is possible. So if we have people who are thinking, oh, I need a staff of 10 people, or I need, you know, I need this, I need that, that's not entrepreneurial thinking. So enlighten us and share with us maybe a couple examples of what you've done at Pima Community College, working with your staff and your your trustees. Well, you're right. It has been a very lean team. And, you know, we've all experienced this pandemic and having to go and sit at home and stare at people on a screen instead of being able to meet in person has has created different challenges and opportunities, certainly. So during that time, the chancellor had called me on a number of occasions and said, well, this is this is what's happening here. Can you do this? And so, sure, we can do that. He he his relationships in the community and the trust that he's built has been the key piece, in my opinion, to our success. Mm -hmm. He has embraced the community in a way that they trust that what he says will actually come to fruition. So we opened our very first building in decades in May of 2021, a 47,000 square foot automotive center that was the promise kept from when he interviewed here. And so that really was one of the dominoes that has started to fall because it's one thing to say, we're going to do this. It's another thing to say, we've done it. And here are the other things that we are doing that show the promise kept to the community. So one day I got a phone call and it was, okay, this particular foundation is interested in getting a proposal and this is what I want the proposal to be. So I worked on it. I worked with the dean. So so one of the things that I think our office is able to do is we can take some of the higher ed speak and the alphabet soup that exists in education and translate it into lay people's terms. Because people don't understand all of the alphabets and the the abbreviations and, and the jargon that permeates education top to bottom. And so we can take that and sort of place it into a context that's easier for somebody outside of our, our circles to understand. So we 
did that, some highly technical things in our applied technology area that I had to really grasp and understand to be able to translate. And the chancellor took it to the funder and they said, not enough. You didn't ask for enough. We had asked for a million. And so we went back and asked for about three million in kind of a menu-driven manner. And lo and behold, they came back and said two and a half million. We're oh giving you gosh. two and a half million. And again, a domino that started to fall because this is a local foundation that is highly respected that people pay attention to what they're doing and why. And so we continue to work with them and and a number of other groups around the community. There are a, a lot of different local philanthropists who have come to us largely during the pandemic to fund a variety of things. And so it is an exciting time. And we're also seeing the fruits of our labor in other ways. We're up almost 10% in enrollment this fall, which is bucking a national trend. And Becky, when you said, you know, you, you learn from tragedy, you learn from difficulty, I am a firm believer that you learn more from failure than you do from success. And mm-hmm. so if people are just reading books and just learning theory and just taking tests, there's not really that opportunity to learn the hands-on pieces. Well, what happens if you don't connect this properly in a car? What happens if you don't follow the recipe right? What happens if you can't get a, a patient who's having a something stressful happening in a park and you're an emergency person? What if you don't do that technique right? to help them, right? We need our students, our learners to have hands-on experiences that give them the skills that they need. And now we're able to start doing some of that in virtual environments using using high-tech equipment Mm -hmm. so that it's not as scary the first time maybe they do it for real because they've had that adrenaline rush. Even in a virtual environment, people are starting to see that heart rates go up and and people are, are experiencing the real emotion. And so really exciting times for education and for people who want to learn. Well, and I think what you're saying too about even fundraising and the and the example that you gave of a funder coming to you and and giving you an opportunity and then you went back. So so that had to be scary. And I've been in that situation. I was in that situation with NACI eight years ago. We had a big funding gap that I wasn't aware that we were going to have, but it was exhilarating to see how scrappy I had to be. I had to close that gap because I knew the alternative was that we were going to not be able to serve our members well. We weren't going to be able to make, make payroll. So when you kind of really lean into that scary space of way outside your comfort zone, asking for that really big number, and then they come back and either they give it to you or they invite you to give more, or what if they don't give it to you? you start to learn to be empowered that the really you're doing your job if you keep asking because it's a numbers game. So I want to go to you, Lisa. You had talked about a number of colleges in the Chicagoland area. I'm happy to say they are all NACI members, uh, College of DuPage, Harper College. So Marcy, (laughs) we will see them in a short order in four weeks in Boston, which is exciting um, when you come out to present with your chancellor. 
share with us a little bit about, as you're working with these community colleges, maybe some of the philanthropic advice that you give them and how do you help them to really lean in and do kind of what Marcy <laughs> had to learn to do on her own. But I'm sure her friendship with you and, and other alliances helped her uh, to do that. But give us maybe a couple examples um, just from your recent experience that stand out in your mind. Well, what stands out is leadership starts at the top and building a culture of philanthropy. We have across this country a number of new presidents of colleges, of two-year institutions, and I don't know about four-year, but I definitely know the two years have them. And so many of them have come up through a route that did not include philanthropy resource development. So they're seeing that as the weak spoke in their, you know, their wheelhouse. They're seeing that as a place where they don't have any experience. So they want to be educated. The leaders that I work with say, I want to know about this field. I want to understand it. And, you know, of course, the big aha is what? Most of the money in this country comes from individuals. It's donated by individuals. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. We're asking only corporations. How do we get a piece of that individual? And, you know, th- then the, the learning takes off exponentially from there, making them comfortable. You know, I always love the the numbers game, too. I, I love a yes or no. If I get a no, I would say I'm closer to a yes. I'm closer mm-hmm. to a yes. I mean, there's going to be another yes here. It's like the little boy who gets a, he's badly behaved and he gets a pile of manure, horse manure for his Christmas present. And he jumps in and excited and start digging. His parent goes, what? And he goes, well, with this much manure, there's got to be a pony in here. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, if you've got a great idea, you know, That's and all right. the signs point toward a pony, <laughs> like keep going. Looking um, for the pony. <laughs> yeah, keep looking for it. the pony. Um, and to me, no is just more information. You know, what didn't I do right? Well, in the example that Marcy shared, the institution didn't ask for enough money. That was the no. No, we're not going to fund this because no, you didn't ask for enough money. We want you to ask for more, which is a great problem to have, a great (laughs) problem. Then what I see is once the president, about a nine to 12 month process gets emboldened with resource development and feels like they have enough knowledge with philanthropy, they expand that to their leadership team because now it has to be the deans and the directors and the campus directors. And however you're structured, you have to bring your leadership team in. And then the next step is taking that out to their advisory councils and committees to get them empowered. Most of them have never asked them for any funding. They're just so grateful that they'll show up on a Tuesday morning to give some advice. And I'm like, well, how about we ask them for a little bit of money? How about we build a discretionary fund that's called the Excellence Fund in your area, automotive, hospitality, culinary, for those students that might have done an amazing submission of something and gotten to go to the next level, the state competition or the national competition, or they get an opportunity to do something and the funding's not there and they don't have the funding. I love that. And they're like me. They're a kid who's, you know, parent died and they've got single female, single male head of household. And then that leads into engaging the alumni. A lot of two-year institutions are now looking. And I'm happy to say, I just learned in the last year, a graduate of Alpena Community College, or at least an attendee, I believe he was a graduate, started Five Guys, that burger joint you oh see all over. Yeah. <laughs> because there's this local urban legend when my parents grew up in the late 50s and early 60s of this immigrant. I believe he was Italian and he had like um, a hamburger stand on the shores of the beach. And after every high school football game, they would go to the hamburger stand. And 
It was called Tony's and, you know, they called him push him up Tony's because he pushed the onions. And if you ask for no <laughs> onions, you got twice as many onions. And apparently this resonated with this young man who was in school. So he built five guys on that model. I mean, he has since sold it, but talk about the entrepreneurial spirit, seeing something in the hometown that was so popular when he was growing up. And when I went to school in the seventies and eighties, it was long gone, but the legend is still there. And I was like, so then the third piece that they do is that alumni engagement piece. And I just did some research for a client and found out over 82 and a half percent of two-year institutions that I surveyed nationally have some sort of alumni engagement program. So I see two-year colleges and technical colleges and community colleges starting to say, hey, we can engage our alumni. We can have some sort of program that attracts them back to the two-year school. It's not just the four years that have them captivated. The two years have a role in their life too. Yeah, and it's having that bolder vision because when you were talking about the Five Guys example, that's one of the major initiatives at NACI. Um, We have an Everyday Entrepreneur Venture Fund. So a bit about our metrics. Back in 2015, we were a million-dollar organization. This year, we're a $10.4 million organization. Why? Because we try to give back to our members in terms of you know sub-award grants, uh, everyday entrepreneur venture funds, so we can have more five guys. But I wanted to hit on one other point as we get to a close on this is that Marcy and I uh, were invited to present at the League for Innovations in December. So we're going to be talking with this group, I think, of 20 to 25 aspiring presidents about this very topic, because what they're starting to see is the path, as you both know, to the presidency typically was, you know, through the academic area, uh, provost, sometimes other areas, and that can be a very fruitful path. But as you say, a lot of people that have that experience have no experience as sort of the outside folks like ourselves that are going to chamber meetings and doing all the things to build up those networks. I'm really excited about doing that with you, Marcy, and also with our friend Karen Seda from Paradise Valley Community College. One other point I wanted to share with everyone, there's a big announcement that will be coming soon that NACI will be headed to uh, the majestic Coeur d'Alene, Idaho in May for our first ever entrepreneurial resource development conference, where we're also going to have a pre-conference on veterans entrepreneurship, which is a wonderful growing area. So I'm really excited. I, I hope that both of you will come out and be speakers at that event and and really welcome in um, advancement people all over the country because at one point or another, all three of us were brand new, either development directors or executive directors. And boy, I wish I knew then what I know now in terms of how entrepreneurship can kind of supercharge um, your results, but also make it much more joyful. So I want to just have each of you sort of leave us with a final, maybe hopeful thought of as you look into your crystal ball into the future, um, what are you really excited about and what are you hopeful about? So Marcy, we'll start with you. And then Lisa, maybe you could close us out with a thought that you have. Well, for me, one of the things that we have in place right now for the next almost two and a half years, we have a challenge grant from a foundation that is requiring that we raise $10 million and we will get $5 million. And it's around new donors or increased contributions. And so that for us is something that's really empowering 
It's daunting. This is the largest grant that this particular foundation has ever offered to an organization. And so there, there's a lot of excitement around that. But it also, I think, to your point, Becky and, and Lisa, yours as well, it's not just about our office. It's about the, the chancellor and his executive team. The deans have been incredibly receptive. They become, you know, I, I often will have conversations with a department head who will say, just raise this money for us. We need money. Just raise it for us. And and my question is always, well, who do you know? Who do you already have in your circle? Because they are the most likely to be the people to support what you do. Well, we don't know anybody. And it's it's that shift of mentality mm-hmm. that that it's the relationship that matters the most in this. Me asking people through email, you know, a, a solicitation to all of our prior donors and prospects isn't going to generate the kind of money that a relationship between a department and their alumni or their industry partners will. And so helping people see those connections and and having the deans actually start to, you can see the aha moment happen. And that's where we've seen success. And I think we will continue to see success. And as we open new buildings, we have a big renovation that will open in October. And we have a a building that will open to the public uh, in no well it will oh, it will be done in November, and then another renovation happening at, at two other campuses. These are those promises kept, and yes. and I think that that's where that's where the community will start to see. And as we have these shorter term credentials and certifications that allow people to go into jobs that help them have a sustainable living wage, that that is, those are all the things that make this work and make it work on a learner's time, not on the institution's time. And I think that's the other shift in education and particularly in the two-year space that is exciting and different and kind of knocking education on its ear because you don't have to keep two years dedicated to getting an associate's degree or four years or seven years to get that law school degree. You can do things in shorter term that allow you to do what you need to do for your family. And that is really important in this day and age. That's nice. So how about you, Lisa? So I have a a two part. The first part goes to what I learned from entrepreneurs. You know, when I did my graduate work, I studied entrepreneurs and their philanthropic giving patterns. And I think if I was starting out my career, I'd want to know this. Um, They said, all of them said, I I had the great fortune of interviewing entrepreneurs throughout Canada and the U.S., men and women, all ages. I think the youngest was, you know, 20, 22, and the oldest was 88. Cadillac Al, you bought your Cadillacs from Al in Chicago. He had a GM dealership first African-American black man to have a a dealership from GM. Just amazing stories I heard. But they all said four things the same. And then the women said something different. Uh, The four things they said the same was um, they saw philanthropy and charity different, and they wanted to do philanthropy, which makes sense because they don't start a business like a housing, a home building business to build their home. They started to change a community or they start a restaurant to feed a community a certain cuisine or style of food or 
hours that they're operating. So that made sense to me. They see the importance in charity, like feeding hungry people today, but they really want to resolve the hunger situation. Most wish they had started sooner. To a person, they said that. And I said, shame on us. Shame on the Marcy's and the Lisa's and maybe the Becky's a little bit that didn't go out and ask. You know, I skipped over all the entrepreneurs. When I first started fundraising, I was in Michigan. I went to people who worked at Ford and Chrysler and Upjohn and Whirlpool and Kellogg. And because, you know, they had fancy titles, but the real wealth was with the entrepreneurs. The third thing they all said is the more money they uh, gave away, the more money they made. It was an unintended consequence, mm. but the more money they gave away, the more money they seemed to make. And they all, most of them had some sort of religious component saying, you know, you reap what you sow, karma, you know, what have you, some sort of spiritual belief. And they all said they did not come from philanthropic families. This was not taught at home. They usually remembered their mom. Sometimes they said their family, but their mom doing something around food. And the holidays, like making sure a food basket, a, a food drive, making sure the neighbor had food. But usually it was mom and it was around the holidays. The women said something none of the men said. And what the women said is that they saw, the women entrepreneurs, they saw philanthropy in a holistic way. It wasn't just dollars. It was holding the door open for somebody, shoveling their walk, mowing their lawn, you know, helping them get groceries into the front door that they saw it more holistically. Not saying the men didn't see it that way. They just didn't articulate it during our, our conversation. But the women all said that philanthropy is more than money, Lisa. It's it's a smile. It's an acknowledgement. And sometimes you see on social media, you know, somebody say, you know, your smile might be the only thing to brighten that person's life and or save that person today um, if they're having a tough day. And, and that's definitely what the women entrepreneurs said. So I love that. And then it leads to where I see it going. Um, nonprofit is the third largest employment sector in this country mm -hmm. after retail and manufacturing. And my goal is that by the time I'm done with this life, which hopefully it'll be a long time, that every newscast has a philanthropy report, that there is so much good in the world. And we are so good at sharing the bad stuff, the stuff that just makes us crazy, the stuff that infuriates us and sets our social media you know, feeds on fire. But we're reticent to share the good stuff and all the things that Marcy shared that's going on at Pima Community College with donors wanting to come forward and all the things that NACI's doing to help empower two-year schools to understand the power of entrepreneurs. I think that if we can have a corn report in Iowa, a sunshine report in Florida, a rain report in Seattle, we certainly can have a philanthropy report everywhere on every newscast sharing what amazing work is being done, either through dollars giving our activities undertaken by individuals in our community. And my guess is if we were to watch it, a lot of it would be done by entrepreneurs. That is a beautiful note to end a wonderful conversation. So I thank you both so much. I can't wait to meet you in person at some point, Lisa, and to see you soon, Marcy. So we wish all our listeners around the world a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward, and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. 
We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in, anticipate and recognize trends, manage change, be resilient, take risks, reflect, and rest in the knowledge that anything is possible. Learn from our innovative, insightful, generous network who navigates both challenges and opportunities entrepreneurially as we share what we've learned and how you might apply their experience to your work. We hope you'll be as inspired as we were. Learn more at www dot nacyplaybook dot com